right, everybody. Welcome to The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. Yours truly, Johnny Torres, as always. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for your subscribing, liking our social media platforms. Don't forget, you can uh, catch the show over on YouTube as well. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, and leave us a review there. And uh, the audio version of our podcast, you can catch it on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, uh, Google and Spotify platforms uh, in case you're into the audio version and uh, coming soon Amazon that's going to be the big one so we're excited about that uh, let's go ahead and jump into today's topics before I introduce today's cast uh, we're going to talk about TikTok and uh, the banning or potential banning of uh, TikTok and uh, whether or not that's going to happen uh, or you know is Microsoft going to save the day uh, President Trump came to town here in Tampa Bay area where our show originates from. And we had a lot of fun uh, with, with that. And we'll talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the good and the bad that came out of the visit uh, and Biden, Biden, uh, you know, Biden continues to evade interviews. He continues to evade debates. Um, you know, Democrats are trying to make a case for not having presidential debates whatsoever. So we'll talk about that and roll that right into the presidential election as a whole. Uh, we'll we'll t pick apart the VP picks that are up for grabs for Biden, uh, along with uh, Trump not wanting to leave office and the, the speculation around that scenario. All right, let's go to today's cast. Uh, we're a little shorthanded here. So we'll send our regards to Anibal who can't join us today, but uh, uh, who can join us? Mr. Christopher Kylan, what's up, buddy? Hey, good to see Love you all. I was, uh, yeah. I'm just recovering from my summer. I'm a little bit rosy from uh, standing out in the tarmac here for a couple of hours, uh, but I'm recovering <laughs> nicely. Uh, just a little bit of uh, dry skin in the news. Well, that's why uh, I'm excited that we're going to be able to talk a little bit about that so you can kind of tell us about your experience uh, for people who've never had that opportunity before. Magical. And uh, joining us back once again, Christina, Sarah, how are you, Christina? Hey, guys, I'm good. How are y'all doing? Thanks for having me. Well, thank Glad you uh, for coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guys, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, again, uh, no shortage of news. Uh, it, you know, uh, obviously coronavirus still kind of dominating uh, most of the headlines around the country, but, uh, you know, couldn't stay that way for long. So uh, one of the issues that we've talked about here uh, at various levels has been what the social media platforms are doing in terms of censorship, um, in terms of, uh, you know, what they uh, the influence or the impact that they're having on the elections. And, uh, you know, this week, the president announced that uh, he may be considering a ban on TikTok. Now, obviously, that's a oversimplification of what he's actually able to do as president. Um, but, uh, of course, there's a lot of speculation as to why. Some people say it's national security. And obviously, that's well documented as to the risks that come along with that. Uh, but some people say it may be the, the influence that uh, the social media platform uh, may have on the election. Uh, Chris, we'll go ahead and start with you. Uh, are you even on TikTok? I mean, I'm not. <laughs> well, considering I'm 34 years old, I'm not on TikTok, nor am I a nurse, so I will not be making any videos in the hallways of my empty uh, workplace. Uh, <laughs> but as far as TikTok goes, I have no skin in the game. From what I have seen, there is uh, veritable reasons to believe that uh, the Chinese government is using it to either data mine the U.S. population, um, get profiles of every U.S. citizen. Um, so I can see a, a good reason to ban it for that reason. Um, I think Microsoft coming in and buying it and make, putting it under U.S. ownership might be a solution. 
Uh, I can't say that there won't be a backdoor for the Chinese government to keep on getting what they want from it. There's no reason to believe that that wouldn't be the case. Um, I, I'm a little bit devoid of knowledge on this subject, actually. So if you guys could fill me in a little bit, maybe I can apply them after I know more. Yeah, Christina, how about you? Are you on TikTok? I'm, I'm not on TikTok. Uh, I've heard friends that get on there mainly to watch videos. Apparently, it can be very entertaining. I've never downloaded it. I've never made a login. I really don't even know much. I mean, I know what it is based on the things that get shared on Facebook and other media platforms that I am on. Um, I mean, I just don't have time for it. I feel like it could be a you know, big waste of time if you get on there and you just start watching videos all day. But um, either way, it's definitely something that's popular with the younger generations. I'm sure there's a lot of people that monetize from it as well. But um, I don't have too much knowledge on the actual subject, but I do know that, you know, there is a privacy concern. There are privacy concerns with data sharing and things going on um, that China could be possibly using to their advantage, which we really can't put it past China to be doing so. They take advantage of almost every situation that they've come into contact with with the U.S., whether it's trade, whether it's um, import and export. It, it wouldn't surprise me that they would use any means possible to get information and get data and get different profiles from the US in whatever manner that they can. And I think that Trump continues to be hard on China and we need a president that's not gonna be soft on China and he continues to prove that he's not gonna be soft on China and he's not gonna let them take us for, you know, take us for a ride, so. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, and specifically in regards to China, uh, this is something that Trump's been well-documented in talking about for the last 30, almost 40 years. I mean, it's something that he's been warning about and talking about. This isn't something that, you know, just came about uh, due to his presidency. Uh, but you also made a great point, which is the security vulnerabilities that are also well documented. The military has prohibited uh, this application from being on, used on any of their devices. You have a lot of organizations, um, you know, uh, educational organizations and, and other types of uh, uh, organizations who have prohibited this application from being used on any of their devices. And, and so there's obviously a genuine security concern here. Um, and, and look, I was ready to join, you know, because you start to see the videos and they, you know, they're entertaining and, um, and, and so a platform like that obviously can be very powerful in election because, uh, it's kind of like uh, Snapchat, you know, which is similar in some ways you can oversimplify a message and, and have it be very powerful. Uh, but again, oversimplified. Um, and so from a, from a, an election tool from a messaging tool, uh, I can certainly see how it would be powerful, especially if you're able to capture that audience uh, that is going to be a voting age uh, in this election. You know, they talk about the youth vote and uh, and, and the impact that uh, that usually has. Um, but you know, to me, uh, obviously, it you know, hey, it serves a double purpose. I think, you know, because what we're seeing is a lot of censorship and manipulation by these social media platforms um, to favor the Democrats in the upcoming election. Um, but I mean, first and foremost, it is a genuine security concern. I mean, because this is the type of stuff that China is doing around the world. And they're doing it not only on platforms like TikTok, but they're also doing it on a lot of the products that they manufacture. Um, and they've been caught doing it red-handed in some cases where they've been trying to hide the fact that they're uh, able to have backdoor technology you know, to some of the devices they build, but also the fact that uh, they, they are sometimes openly 
uh, admitting that, you know, hey, this is, you know, what we're able to do with this technology. Um, and and they've kind of cornered the market because of their production facilities to the point where now you see even Europe in the European Union saying, okay, we need to limit or cut back, you know, the number of Chinese devices that we're using for our infrastructure, for instance, you know, when it comes to 5G technology and other types of technology that they're implementing. Um, yeah, I think Huawei got some some devices banned in Europe because of the privacy concerns because of what China was putting on the devices. So people that are engineers, people that are working in these industries that have valuable uh, IP that's on their phones or you know available through, through their phones, um, the Chinese government was stealing IP from people in these positions in Europe. Well, that's a, that's the other big thing that's been happening for years. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to you right right uh, next to Christina, but you know you have people who manufacture products and they're not always technology, the, the type of devices, just products in general. And they know that you, you know, and uh, that the minute you send it to China for production, that's it. You might as well kiss it goodbye because they're going to clone it um, and they're going to put their own uh, labeling on it. And and now you've got a competitor, even if if even you could have all of the technology, you know, um, type of uh, restrictions in the world, you know, in terms of patents and things like that. Um, but uh, the minute it gets over to China, I mean, it, it, it's open season. Christina. Yeah. No, you took the words literally right out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, very similar um, notes. They've been stealing our IP for years and years. It's nothing new. Um, they knock off pretty much anything that's sent over there, any contract manufacturing that's done over there because of cost reasons, everything's getting knocked off. I mean, this is, it's just become status quo. Um, in my industry that I work in, a lot of the commercial lighting products are manufactured overseas or they're CM'd overseas for companies that are here in the US and it's a it's a constant issue. It's always a problem. Everything over there, whether it's LED technology, lighting fixtures, commercial, and industrial type of products, everything and anything you can think of, IPs being you know being stolen and has been stolen for years and years. So this is an ongoing problem, and um, it's definitely nothing new. Like you said, there's plenty of documentation of the security issues and just them taking advantage, China taking advantage as a whole, like they've always done. So well, and give me give me a little bit of uh, your perspective on this, Christina. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that also uh, it forces companies to increase the cost of their products because they realize that they're going to have a much shorter shelf life before they have some type of competitor in that space. So they have to make their money while they can. Is that right? Yeah. So um, the problem is, is there's, there's so many similar products and so many knockoffs. It does shorten the, it shortens the shelf life in terms of um, the sale cycle as well as the technology cycle behind it. Um, a lot of products and technologies are always evolving, like LEDs, for example. I'm in lighting, so I'm just going to reference LEDs for a minute. Um, they're always evolving that the shelf lives keep getting even shorter. So in order to be ahead of the game and ahead of the market, you have to always be thinking of the next best thing and the next best upgrade. And with China constantly knocking off IP or you know, contract manufacturing, a lot of these drivers and ballasts and fixtures, for example, in my industry, it's very, very hard to keep up and stay ahead of the game. Um, it's just, it's, it's one big bad cycle. I will say in my um, 
in my perspective and in my um, experience, a lot of companies right now, it's been happening over the last few months, last year, a lot of manufacturing companies, I work for a manufacturing company, we are all looking at seriously moving some of our CM manufacturing that's done overseas in China, moving that to places like Korea, places where we can establish better connections, stronger security connections, and things like that. It's definitely an ongoing conversation, and it's even happening with the conglomerate companies that are out there. Well, and even yeah, because, actually beholden to our law. Well, and, and I was going to add, you know, because of, let's say, the global economy now, and uh, the fact that, you know, you can get products, you know, from overseas here a lot faster, um, it, it's actually increased you know, the, our competitiveness, you know, globally, you know, in terms of manufacturing to where you're almost not getting really much of a cost savings because, you know, the, the, it's kind of, we're almost at a level playing field now, even with China in some cases in terms of, uh, you know, labor, because, you know, if it's coming from China, then you got to add shipping and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot more costs involved. And so, you know, do you, do you see all, all, all that type of activity happening where it's even coming back here to the United States as well? Um, in terms of like products coming over here. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough because there's so many different factors. You know, you have to factor in cost of burden, cost of keeping the inventory on the shelf if it doesn't sell, cost of breaking into um, cases and um, pallets. Everything has a cost. You know, the labor it takes to have somebody break down a pallet and pick apart pieces for smaller orders as opposed to volume orders. I mean, it's you can drive it down to such minor details that while it's still always going to be cheaper to manufacture certain products overseas, trust me when I say my company, other companies, we are in full support of bringing more product and even more contract manufacturing back to the United States. It just it makes more sense and it's the best way that we can do business really if we can afford it and it can become affordable. The best way forward is to make these products and really CM some of these items here in the U.S. if it's possible and if we can have the production facilities. All right. Well, we got a little bit off track from TikTok there, but I'll take the blame for that. Uh, thanks for that insight. That's that's really fascinating. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, that applies to so much of what we're dealing with in regards to China. Um, and, uh, and I think globally, you're, we're going to see more and more countries, you know, distance themselves uh, from what's happening over there. Uh, because uh, not only are they pushing back, but they're also doing it in, in a very aggressive way. And I think that's, that's going to backfire uh, uh, on them in addition to what's happening in regards to coronavirus, you know. And I think, you know, obviously it's not the PC thing to say, so you won't see our global leaders other than maybe our president, you know, giving them the blame for it. But um, they know, you know, where this virus originated and uh, and the, the devastating impact it's had on the global economy because of it. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that China story continues to evolve. And I know Anibal is going to be uh, wishing he, he could have been on today because <laughs> uh, he, he loves his international affairs uh, stories. But let's go ahead and uh, we're going to get into President Trump and the presidential election here. We'll start with the uh, local uh, angle on this story first with the president coming to the Tampa Bay area. You know, what's crazy about it is, is that the same day he was here, in my Facebook uh, memories, it came up that he had actually been here on the same day, two years ago, having a rally at the Florida State Fairgrounds. Um, and so he was literally in Tampa Bay two years to the day 
Uh, I thought that was a really odd coincidence given obviously, you know, a presidential schedule, uh, but it was awesome, you know, to have them here in town. Um, you know, that we, a lot of our friends and we'll go to you, Chris, here in a second, you know, got to see him, uh, you know, at the tarmac. And um, it, it's one of these things where it shows you how much he recognizes and is more politically astute than some of these people that have been doing this for generations uh, in, in realizing, you know, central Florida really being the bellwether of the state. Um, and not to dismiss the importance of South Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody really pays attention to North Florida, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where uh, Tampa Bay, you know, and the, the I-4 corridor is the most important uh, geographical uh, portion of the state when it comes to national elections. And uh, I think it was uh, smart of him to come by. He got a few things done. I believe there was a fundraiser even involved in there somewhere. Um, you know, Chris, go ahead and give us, a, from your perspective, the breakdown on uh, what you saw at the airport. So everything was very hush-hush from the beginning. I think they uh, are taking security very, very seriously because of what's happened nationally. The spirit of lawlessness and the emboldenment that people who are bad actors uh, have gotten has made this, I mean, before we'd have rallies announced weeks in advance, you're having your tickets or, you know, your spot holders being given out weeks in advance. This, I was notified like maybe 24 hours or less in advance by the campaign. Um, that's how I was able to get into the, the event. Um, I was lucky enough to be asked to work on the campaign a couple of times. Um, and that was my, my in with the campaign. So they, they texted me, said, do you want to come? You, can you have a, you can bring a plus one. Uh, can we have your information so we can get it through Secret Service? And that was 24 hours in advance. I showed up. We kind of waited around uh, near the airport. Um, it was really cool when we were able to actually get past the fences onto the tarmac. We saw the Beast and its clone lined up. Um, all the really fancy SUVs. Um, my favorite thing to do when I'm at the presidential events is pick out which SUVs have the machine guns inside of them, like the ones that pop up and the guys, you know had the, the turrets. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we, we kind of sat around and uh, we waited for about 30 minutes while the plane landed once we got out there. It was hot as all hell, um, but they did have fans set up and water for everybody. So it was really nice for the campaign to kind of think of our comfortability. Um, but watching that plane approach, it's a massive plane, a paint scheme. And the, I think there's something about the plane, just like an aura that makes it really cool to watch. So watching that thing touch down right in front of us, um, it was really cool and then having it like drive by it turned by us almost like a person was driving a car that weighed you know 900,000 pounds or 900 million tons whatever uh, right in front of us that was really cool then seeing the staircase and the Marines deployed the, the wheel chocks um, Trump actually walked down the staircase and he said you know what TikTok you know uh, you're gonna mess with my rallies and you banned you're fired <laughs> um, but no it was a really cool speech um, he was well, yeah, talk very just about that, talk, you know, because, uh, you know, that's something that's pretty rare, you know, that he would give a speech there on the tarmac, you know, in front of the, the crowd that was waiting for him. Normally, it's like a little quick meeting greet and he goes on, but they had a podium out there and he gave quite a long speech. Uh, you know, what was that like? Yeah, it was about 50 minutes long. So I was very surprised because, like you said, from what I've seen before from our friends in the, that work in the campaigns, when you have uh, a politician come by, it's usually, hey, how are you doing? Then it's off in a limo somewhere. Um, in this case, he had two podiums set up and spoke for about 50 minutes. He had um, 
I want to say 13 sheriffs or so from across Florida uh, that were doing an endorsement of, of his campaign. Um, obviously, police unions are historically very democratic because unions, that's how they are. Um, but because what we've seen in the last handful of weeks unfold, sheriffs can hold their tongues no longer. And now they're coming out and saying, we cannot endorse a Democrat. We're endorsing this president because our lives depend on it. Um, a lot of the speech had to do with that and uh, handling the coronavirus. Um, I will say he's not as orange as the media might uh, lead you to believe in person. That's usually Photoshop. He was actually in pretty normal skin tone. His hair actually looked pretty cool. I was really uh, like aloof than it, than it is, but it's, it's pretty cool. Um, you could tell he wanted to engage and shake our hands. Like at the end of the speeches, he walked by the barricades and he was about 15 feet away and you could tell he wanted to do that. It's what politicians do, but he knew he couldn't. And we were all kind of felt the same way. Like we want to, but we know we can't do it, you know? Yeah, it's uh, obviously it's a it's a health concern, even more than a security concern at this point. Um, but uh, again, that that was definitely a special treat because I don't think I've ever seen any president really come out and give a speech on a tarmac in front of a in front of a crowd like that and, and, and an intimate crowd, you know, because it wasn't a big crowd. And of course, Democrats, you know, wanted to criticize the size of the crowd. But as you said, I mean, this these things are typically uh, announced or the word has gotten out uh, very last minute and, and, and in a very low key way. This isn't majorly advertised. It's not, you know, and so certainly in the middle of the day, in this heat, I mean, there's not going to be a lot of people that are going to be able to go on a whim. Um, and well, so, <clears throat> go ahead. I'm going to interject there on the, the crowd size. It was limited to 300 people. That was the campaign said no more than 300 people. Um, there was 300 people there. And it was not an open event. It wasn't anyone can come. If you're part of the campaign or you have family in the campaign, you're allowed to come. So people, so I, I see an image on the Tampa Bay Times website um, of the crowd that was there. But at a point in time when they took the photo, it was when the sheriffs were spread out behind him. Uh, that was the 50 minute mark on a speech in a 104 degree tarmac. So the barricades they showed were actually full. They were allowed for social distancing. Um, they obviously were a little bit compressed because no one wanted to be in the back. So that was part of the deal. But again, we're seeing immediately the media deceptively edit these things. So it's like, oh, look, no one came. It's like, no, it's a private event. It's to appreciate the volunteers that are getting this man elected, you know? So that whole making it look small thing was nonsense. I, I was there. I saw it. I can pull pictures up. You know, it was not, uh, you know, a small event. Right. And, and again, it wasn't heavily publicized uh, that, uh, you know, he was going to be in town and, uh, and, and they obviously they don't disclose where he's going or what the route is going to be, you know. And so it's actually kind of funny because some of our friends uh, actually got some amazing pictures. Uh, in fact, they drove right in front of Todd Jennings house, who we've had on the show before. He's the chairman of the Pinellas County Republican Party, literally drove right in front of his house, got a couple of amazing pictures. Uh, you know, and, and Christina, I know you didn't get a chance to to attend this time around, but uh, I'm sure we'll get you over there at a future event. Um, given, uh, you know, that uh, your kind of foray right into Republican politics here um, uh, is, is, is kind of ramping up, you know, tell, tell us your impression of kind of how what you've seen in regards to the importance of the Tampa Bay area for a presidential election. I think it's um, very important. I think the Tampa Bay area, the Pinellas area, 
um, all these counties that kind of sub-create our region is, um, is very detrimental to the election, whether it's blue or red, um, simply for the fact that we know certain areas of the country are traditionally blue or Democrat, just based on the demographics. And um, Tampa Bay area can go either way. It can go red or it can go blue. So I think it takes a lot of that grassroots work on either side of the campaign aisle to, to, to flow it either way, depending on are we gonna bring this home for the Republicans or are we gonna bring this home for the Democrats because it can really go either way. There's quite a strong um, Democratic presence here and there's also quite a strong Republican presence here that I've experienced and I've experienced both sides. <laughs> so um, I think it's really important to, for the, like Chris said, to have that, those volunteers and the people that are out there working, getting people registered to vote, informing them. Um, and I think that's why you see so much work being done on both campaigns. You're seeing a lot of grassroots and campaign work and phone banking being done on Biden's campaign right now in the Democrat side of things, and you're seeing it in the conservative side of things too. So I think this is a very important area. We know the panhandle is traditionally more conservative and Orlando, Tampa Bay, these are the areas that really can go either way. And Florida is an important state when it comes down to electoral votes. So it can go either way, truly. All right. Thank you, Christina. And thank you for watching The Yard Sign. Again, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. Uh, we appreciate you for watching. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us some comments, some reviews, and subscribe to the audio portion of our podcast. You can find that on Google, Apple, and Spotify podcast platforms. And coming soon, Amazon. Amazon's going to be hosting uh, podcasts as well. So keep an eye out for that. We'll keep you updated as soon as we're on board with them. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Trump and, uh, and the presidential election. So let's go right into Biden. Biden. Uh, Joe Biden uh, continues to uh, reside in the basement of his home, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and he's turning down interviews on uh, every side of the aisle. I mean, you know, and, and, and not to make our, our uh, friends in the media overly partisan, although they usually are, but, uh, you know, he's turned down interviews from Fox News, MSNBC, you know, he's just, they're keeping him off the television. They're keeping him uh, away from crowds, away from podiums. Uh, you know, how much longer do you guys think uh, he can get away with this, Christina? I think the you know the people are not going to forget this. There, you know, if it comes down to debate time and they continue to tout this idea that Biden doesn't need to debate anybody or debate you know the president in a presidential debate. The people are going to remember this, and I don't know how many Democrats are going to jump on this side and say, yeah, we don't need to see Biden up on the stand or up on the podium. Um, it's It's been really interesting because it seems like when his talking points aren't deliberately planned out, he has a very hard time putting cohesive thoughts together and answering mm -hmm. on-the-spot questions. So I think that the media and the party knows that putting him up there is dangerous. It's risky because every time he does so, he's messing something up. He's he's giving us something to criticize. So I think this is their last ditch effort to try to contain that as much as they possibly can and contain any any flops that Biden could possibly have or say because he says some pretty off the wall things when you catch him off guard and when you catch him not reading off of a prompter that's been prepared for him. Well, and I think you made a really good point there because uh, Joe Biden, again, even four years ago when, you know, he was still vice president, uh, was somebody who was very good on their feet. You know, he was very quick witted. He was charming. 
you know, and you still see some hints of that. But now it seems that whenever he does go off script, he keeps getting himself into trouble. Uh, and, and of course, you know, right now, especially the sensitivity around what's happening with the Epstein case and child trafficking and things like that. I think that that sort of hyper awareness of what's happening in that space is also going to make people take a second look at some of his interactions with young girls and women and be like, okay, there's something not quite right with this guy, you know, but at some point you got to drag him out of the bunker and uh, you got to put him in front of the president and, and, and have him make the case as to why he should replace uh, president Trump. Chris, what's your take? So last we heard from Joe Biden, we heard he was going to beat Joe Biden. If you guys remember that gaffe, <laughs> uh, that was the most recent one. That was weeks ago. So he's been literally hiding out. Um, his campaign recently addressed, I uh, think, ABC and said, oh, we agreed to the debates and the schedule that we agreed to. We're just waiting on Trump to agree to the debates. And like, it's the whole projecting thing. It was so like, it's been one of those things he's been avoiding for so long. And even he was talking about not doing his campaign was talking about not doing it. And they're just like, totally like, no, we didn't do that. It's such a, a gap, like, uh, you know, a technique. Um, so I, personally, if I were on his campaign, I would be like, no, no, don't do it. It's like watching your scrawny friend go beat up the, the town jock, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And it's like, you're going to get destroyed, man. You're going to get destroyed. Well, I mean, when he ran, uh, you know, four years ago against Hillary Clinton, I mean, who would have thought that that Donald Trump was going to be able to, in a presidential debate, take down Hillary Rodham Clinton, who is one of the, the, the most, you know, uh, well-versed politicians that we've seen in our lifetime. You know, somebody who, you know, has been involved at every level of government. Um, and, I mean, uh, nobody, I think, can quote a single things she ever said, um, and, uh, you know, in those debates. And he just, uh, I mean, just swept her in the election. I mean, again, you know, what, what again, contrary to what everybody believed was going to happen. Uh, and so, you know, if that's how he performs against Hillary Clinton. I mean, they're obviously trying to make this ridiculous premise that, that Trump's also having some um, mental capacity issues, which is absolutely absurd. Um, but uh, I think it's going to, go horribly wrong for Biden. And I think they know that. And that's why they're trying to keep him under wraps. Mm -hmm. Trump it's going to be McLovin versus like Mike Tyson. It's going to be ridiculous. I mean, Trump, it, I mean, I watched it a couple of days ago. He can think on his feet. He can work a room. That's like, even if you're not even that smart, if you can work a room, you can get people to believe in, in what you have to offer. Um, and I can't see any way in which Joe Biden outfoxes him on that. He's, he's, he's going to eat Biden for breakfast. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. I mean, like, you know, like Jonathan mentioned, we saw him take down one of a career politician who, you know, has had more training and more public speaking, you know, training than almost any other politician. And I mean, we, they know that it's, it's, it would be a destroyer for Biden. And, but unfortunately, it's absurd to think that Biden would not debate Trump. Not having a presidential debate for two presidential nominees is, is an absurd thought. And the fact that the Democrats think it's something that they can actually get away with or a, an idea that they can actually promote is, is, is absolutely ludicrous. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and couple that with even the primary for four years ago, and Trump took down some of the best debaters and politicians you know that we've seen in a long time i mean ted cruz obviously to me is a standout because he's known as one of harvard's you know standout debaters 
and uh, the fact that he you know he swept the floor with ted um <laughs> and you know and and it was not pretty uh it just shows you that uh again you know he rewrote uh from beginning to end he rewrote the entire book on how to run for president not that i think anybody could duplicate what he did uh, because he's a unique individual. And I say this all the time. Uh, Trump is uh, just as much an anomaly as President Obama was. You know, they're both very unique individuals. Uh, you know, they are not, you know, uh, you know, there's no mold of them sitting around where they're going to be able to make another Trump or make another Obama type ca candidate. Um, and so I think what's even more fascinating is what comes next, you know, after we've had these two huge figures um, you know, from each side of, of the party, you know, you know, what is what does that replacement look like? And and so to me, I'm even more fascinated by the race four years from now. But um, Patrick they're not gonna, yeah, they're not going to be able to hide <laughs> Biden, you know, for much longer. I don't think the people would tolerate it. And uh, and, and, and if that becomes the narrative, I think people will turn on Biden simply for not being willing to go out there and stand up to Trump, which is what Democrats want. And especially your progressives. Uh, they want somebody that's going to go out there and beat him up. And I don't see it happening, uh, even on Biden's best day, which uh, he hasn't had a lot of. I mean, he can't even do a quote unquote safe interview these days without saying something, you know, that that gets him into trouble or makes him look, uh, you know, incompetent. Yeah, you can't even spoon feed him anymore. <laughs> and you, what you've seen before, <laughs> here's the airplane, Joe. Uh, but um, you've seen before, um, like Hillary getting the questions for the debate in advance. That kind of stuff happens in the media, and they they can even do it for Joe Biden. And it's not even going to help him. It's like the handicap will not be, you know, uh, a boon to him. Right. Trump is a fighter, and um, you know, I think there's a rawness and authenticity about him, and I think that's why he beat out whatever, what was it, 23 or 20-something Republicans that were running, you know, for president back in the last election. So there's definitely this rawness and authenticity to Trump. And the guy's a fighter. I mean, I think that's what really comes through and why part of why he is the way he is. And he's able to sweep the floor. Like you said, Jonathan, you know, great, great comparison there of how he's able to just really annihilate people when it comes to debates and facts he's a really really he's just he's a warrior really well and americans love a fighter especially when it comes to things like foreign policy you know and you look at when was george w the most popular when he punched back against um al-qaeda and the terrorists you know that attacked us on 9-11 you know and and you look at you know when was obama popular and again it's when he got the most aggressive you know and 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 really you know kind of took charge you know for you know what he was trying to accomplish um and and i just don't see that fighting spirit in biden and it seems like he's pretty much just going to let go whatever's going to let go and much like people were saying about john mccain in the 2000 race i think people are going to look at this vp pick uh which is the next thing i wanted to bring up and say okay are we prepared for this person to take over the oval office because they don't think that you know, Biden's going to be able to stick it out for four years. And I think that's a very real scenario. Um, you know, it, I mean, again, obviously they were wrong about McCain. He lived well past, you know, what would have been his presidential administration if he had beat uh, Obama. Um, but I think it's something that seriously needs to be in consideration is, is, is his VP pick somebody that we're comfortable having as the next president. Um, and so 
the the obvious names or the biggest names out there, you know, have been um, uh, Susan Rice, have, uh, you know, Kamala Harris right now seems to be the name because Politico supposedly saw a piece of paper with her name on it, and they think she's going to be the pick. Um, they ran a people, story. Well, and some people are still trying to push Val Demings, you know, Congresswoman from Orlando. Um, I think that's dead in the water simply because she couldn't even win a countywide mayoral race in Orange County. So she's not going to be able to carry the state of Florida. They're going to realize she's not strong enough to get them Florida, which is what the only reason that she would be uh, a good, good for the ticket. Um, Kamala Harris and Susan Rice, on the other hand, uh, have a national name ID. Um, they have a following. They, you know, they have, they're able to maybe motivate some people to, to turn out. Um, but <clears throat> what we obviously all know, Kamala Harris has a lot of baggage. Uh, whereas Susan Rice doesn't really seem to have a lot of that. Now, Christina, I know you were kind of looking into this a little bit too, and you seem to think uh, Susan Rice has the edge in that scenario. Yeah, so some of just some of the things I've been watching and researching, you know, Susan Rice is an intelligent woman. She's educated and she's intelligent on foreign policy and different, uh, you know, policies that happen within a White House and an administration. Um, that's why I think she's a very strong contender for the Biden pick. I didn't think so so much at first. Um, the, the problem with Susan Rice is, and I've been waiting to talk about Susan Rice, my biggest issue with her is the fact that she's a liar. I mean, she went on national TV, she went on national interviews with CNN and MSNBC and touted this Russia collusion. There's definitely reasons to believe that Trump colluded with Russia. She misled the American people when in reality, under oath in closed door hearings, she said the very opposite. So she purposefully went on national TV and misled the American people. That to me is one of the lowest things that you can do as a person of power, as a politician who has such a great influence on people and on Americans that you testified under oath one thing because you didn't want to be, you know, at risk for perjury. And you testified that there was no evidence and no reason to believe that Trump ever colluded with Russia. And then you went on national TV and misled the American people and said the exact opposite. So I think that's going to come back and really bite Susan Rice. However, her other thing, in my opinion, put her above some of the other contenders that Biden has right now to choose from. You know, we're looking at Karen Bass. Some of the comments she's made about Fidel Castro and Cuba are extremely disturbing and are very disturbing to some of the Democratic Latino populations. So he's got kind of a tough pick here. And like you said, Kamala has baggage. Karen Bass certainly has baggage. And Susan Rice might be the best pick out of what might be the best pick out of the worst. She just has some things that I think will definitely come back and bite her. Well, one of the things that we see repeatedly, you know, in these presidential cycles, especially when it comes to a VP pick, is they start throwing names out there, right? They throw these names out there, and, and this is done behind the scenes. They'll go to a journalist and say, hey, we're kind of thinking about this person, because they want the name to be thrown out there to see what kind of a reaction they get, to see what kind of opposition research is out there about that individual, right? And so, I mean, to me, Certainly here in Florida, I mean, Bass gets disqualified automatically uh, because they're not going to win Florida, you know, with, with the type of history that she has. Because I'll tell you right now, the Trump campaign will dump millions into those statements 
and those things that she has said about the communist regime in Cuba, um, basically uh, making Florida untouchable uh, for Democrats. And so I think it's one of those things where maybe they were trying to take some heat off Kamala Harris. Maybe they were just throwing out the name uh, to see what kind of a reaction would they would get or to see what would come up um, in, in some of the coverage about her. Um, but, you know, I think you're more spot on, Christina, at least in your speculation about Susan Rice, you know, especially because she's someone that uh, doesn't have a lot of political baggage in the sense of, you know, she's not a firebrand. She's not somebody that goes out there and, and throws punches. Um, and so she's seen as more of a diplomat. She's basically an African-American version of Hillary Clinton. You know, she she has that political kind of pedigree, although Hillary obviously is never below getting down and dirty. Chris, what's your speculation for a VP pick? I don't know, man. Kamala Harris's name has been thrown about a lot, honestly. If she's the person they want, great. But what I've seen a lot is they're, instead of putting out, we want a person that has this qualification, they want a person of this demographic, which is, to me, ass backwards as far as politics goes why would you want to pick someone i mean that's how they operate obviously but to pick someone saying you want a minority female i would feel if i was picked for that job like we want a white male like what do you care about me for like you just want to fill some check boxes so that's kind of stupid but can you imagine the hell that would break loose if he picked bernie sanders for vice president you get a lot of Bernie bros on board. I'm saying that would probably pull a lot of votes. But uh, with the current climate, you know, with race relations being how they are right now, uh, I think that a minority woman uh, is the way to go for them, um, even though I disagree with how they came to that determination. Um, but I can't say more than that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, uh, the, to be honest, if Republicans were to do something like this, I mean, they'd just get raked over the coals for it, um, you know, because it's identity politics at its worst. Uh, and nothing goes further in the face of Martin Luther King and the other civil rights, uh, you know, leaders that we've had throughout our history, even John Lewis, who just passed away, than to say, you know what, oh, we need to have someone of this type of demographic, regardless of what their resume is. Yeah, it's just saying, give us a token of some sort. Yeah, exactly. And and I think it undermines, and, and again, your smarter voters out there will see it for what it is, but I think it undermines uh, the intelligence of the voter because, they, you know, they're basically saying, oh, well, you're dumb enough to vote for this person simply because of their color and not because of what they bring to the table and whether or not they're qualified for this role. And so, I mean, it's interesting to see, obviously, who they've, they've uh, kind of put out there who they've kind of floated. I'm surprised Stacey Abrams isn't more of the conversation piece, um, you know, because she's a fighter. And I think she, the only reason I would say that they are not going to go with Susan Rice um, and maybe go for a Kamala Harris uh, or even a Stacey Abrams would be because Biden, I don't think is aggressive enough to go up against Trump. And they need somebody that's out there that's going to be, to be fearless in going after Trump and his policies and going, you know, toe to toe with Mike Pence in a much more aggressive way. Susan Rice is much more diplomatic than that. Uh, Kamala Harris, I think, is a fighter. Stacey Abrams is, is a fighter. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw Kamala, we saw Kamala Harris get really dirty in the, uh, you know, in the uh, Democrat primary. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and she was willing to go, you know, fist to fist. And uh, I think their campaign needs that. I mean, not to help them, but, you know, I think uh, 
the, that's the kind of person that uh, they're looking for. And, uh, and so uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, Karen Bass obviously was kind of a new name throw in just recently. Um, but, you know, given the limitations they've set for themselves, uh, I think it's, it's kind of slim pickings out there. But I, 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 I'm more inclined to believe that where they've kind of narrowed it down and it may end up being Susan Rice or Kamala Harris at this point. Um, simply because they have the, the, the resume to back it up um, and it would still get them uh, the, the, the vote, you know, the, the easy vote, the low hanging fruit vote, um, you know, demographically, you know, because it is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, there, the, unfortunately, identity politics does work to an extent and they don't need a whole lot to swing, you know, to swing some electoral votes. Um, and they're not going to make that mistake that Hillary made in terms of, uh, you know, the uh, of campaigning in the states that have those electoral votes. Um, so we'll see how it all pans out. But um, judging by what we've seen and we all know, you know, has happened um, in, in previous presidential campaigns, Biden maybe being one of the exceptions, they typically go for someone that is relatively unheard of, doesn't have a lot of political baggage. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, I'm inclined to think they, they're more likely to go for a Stacey Abrams or a Susan Rice versus a Kamala Harris. I think Kamala's just got too much baggage. What do you guys think? Yeah, I would agree. Kamala's um, prosecutor, I'm not even saying the word right, Ugh. prosecutorial history alone, just the incarcerations and some of the policies that she stood behind, uh, you know, how many, you know, black people were incarcerated under her, you know, um, state attorneyship, whatever you want to call it. it. It's, it's right there. I mean, there's no denying it. I think she comes with a lot of baggage. I think the, the truth is a lot of people don't like Kamala Harris. So while she is a fighter and she might be a strong debater, a lot of people don't like Kamala Harris and her, her history and her track record is out there for the taking and it's out there for public viewing. So yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, given the environment that we're in right now, when we're talking about Black Lives Matters, when we're talking about, um, you know, the, the justice system maybe not working the way it should, they're going to look at somebody like Kamala Harris and be like, she's an enabler of this system, you know, and it's really easy to connect those dots. And, and I can bet you money that, uh, that the Trump campaign is going to do it. What do you think, Chris? Well, I don't see how you can get past calling someone a racist and a sexist and a primary campaign and then promote that person going forward you know and the thing yeah. is apart from the fact that she can reconcile that the the recall of that the memory of that comes to mind you see those two next to each other on a stage so even if they say they're past it the memories come back up from what has happened in the past so i don't think that's a good uh, a good set of a, a good per, a good set of people to put together in the same room um as far as stacy abrams goes she said some incendiary nonsense in the Georgia, the Georgia um, election. That being said, as well as like, she couldn't pull off Georgia. Georgia was a, she could have done it like if she was capable, but she wasn't, you know? So I can't see her going forward as, you know, uh, a veritable candidate. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, that, again, similar to my point about Val Demings. I mean, if you can't win a campaign, uh, for mayor of Orange County. I mean, how do you expect to carry a whole state in a presidential election? Yep. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you to Chris for Kylan, Christina, Sarah for joining me on today's show. 
Uh, we hope an evil feels better and uh, we'll be joining us uh, back here next week. Uh, as for you watching, again, don't forget, you can catch any of our episodes on YouTube. Uh, you can also subscribe to the audio portion of our podcast or audio version of our podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify platforms. Uh, really quick, before we call it a day, um, this is kind of my new favorite question to end the show on. Uh, what story are you watching that we did not get to today? Uh, I'll put you under the fire, Christina. Uh, the one that's caught my attention, and I brought it up in our chat, is just um, watching the CNN segments and these professionals that are coming on and are talking about I can't wait to see the split screen of Trump being removed, forcibly removed from office because he's going to refuse <laughs> to step down while Biden is being inaugurated. That's my favorite one of all time right now because it's absolutely absurd. Yeah, Hillary didn't want to concede the election. So let's not talk about Trump actually not <laughs> leaving office. Okay. He's not a communist. He's not a dictator enough with the, you know, pushing of the liberal brainwash agenda. So that's, no, my that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't get to it. We, I meant to get to it on on the last topic here, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot like uh, the delaying of the election. I think Trump likes to throw you know these these little fire bombs out there to you know get the media talking about something else. You know, it's more of a distraction measure uh, than anything. But uh, I think you know if he loses, I think he'll concede and and move on, and uh, he'll he'll be just fine. Uh, when he runs for governor, maybe in four years of Florida. <laughs> so uh, how about you, Chris? What story are you watching? Actually, the same one, uh, different angle. So as far as the whole delay the election thing being, being thrown out there, you see the media and Democrats, you know, disingenuously saying things like, oh, he's a, a fascist and he's not going to leave the office. The entire point of making that statement was, because of schools being reopened. Like the whole point is if it's that unsafe to open our schools, why are we having an election that's gonna be much more crowded, much more uh, transmission risk than opening schools? And that conversation was completely bypassed and it was on purpose. And I can't, I can't see how as a logical uh, set of brains, the media like just totally skipped over that, didn't address it at all. Obviously, they don't want to talk about it, so they decided to go the full fascist route instead. It's so disingenuous. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's a good one. You know, last week I said, of course, you know, watching these stories about the coronavirus and the schools reopening, I think that's obviously going to continue to be a big story as schools start to open throughout the country. Um, but uh, right now, I'm, you know, kind of along the same lines. There are countries that are seeing a second spike, much like we are here in Florida. Um, New Zealand, I believe, being one of them, which actually is in similar size. You know, people don't think about it that way. But population-wise, they're they only have about three million more people than Florida does. And uh, they're starting to see the beginnings of a second spike. And so it's going to be real interesting to see if this thing's going to take another trip around the world and the effect that that's going to have on you know everything. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, if it continues to be a story, maybe we'll talk about it next week. Again, thanks to Christina, Chris. Uh, my name is Johnny Torres. Thank you so much for watching The Yard Sign. We appreciate you. We hope to see you next week. And, uh, well, so long. See you. Bye, guys.